0: Good morning, my brothers and sisters. We're returning to the Gospel of John this morning, and our scripture reading is John chapter 19, starting at verse 41, and we'll read through to chapter 20, verse 18. So John 19, starting in verse 41, and we'll read through to chapter 20, verse 18. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and let's ask for his help. Father, we have just heard this apostolic proclamation about the resurrection of the Son of God. And it's our prayer this morning that as we consider this proclamation, that we would respond in faith to the word that we hear and that you would confirm in us the hope of eternal life, the hope of resurrection that we have in Christ alone. For we ask this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. I mentioned last week at the beginning of the sermon that as we consider our current moment, even the end of this summer, now the beginning of September, I was reflecting on the significance of that, reflecting on the various concerns that we have, the various decisions that we're having to make. Even this Sunday, the first Sunday of September, some of you are heading back to school this week. You may be excited about that. Maybe you're anxious, you're nervous about that. Others, over the last few weeks, have been faced with this question of vaccine mandates. And you're concerned about that, and you're seeking the Lord's guidance, how to navigate these mandates. Others are have come here this morning. You, you've come here with other cares and concerns. You're heavy laden. Some of you have come here bearing your own sin, bearing the shame of your sin. But in God's God's kindness, in His providence, as we have been working our way through John's gospel, we've come at the beginning of September at this moment to the account of the resurrection. Now, back on Easter Sunday, we looked at this text. We read this text. We preached this text. But in God's providence, we've come back to it again on this September, this first Sunday of of September. And this morning, we hear the, as I just prayed, the apostolic proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the Son of God. It's John's proclamation. And John was an eyewitness to this, he was an eyewitness to these events. He was there. And even as you read through his account, it sounds like an eyewitness account. There are certain details. For example, that he and Peter they ran to the tomb and they were racing together. And we know something of these two, of, of Peter and John. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were they were all fishermen in Galilee. They knew each other. It's possible they grew up together. We can imagine all kinds of moments in their lives where. There was a bit of a competitive spirit between Peter and John. They probably often raced places, and John just kind of tells us here, yeah, we raced, and I got there first. I beat him, (laughs) like I always do, probably. But then, you know, I didn't go in, but Peter went in. John was there. John saw the empty tomb. He saw the, 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 the burial clothes folded up, lying there. John was there when Mary Magdalene came back with the report, I have seen the Lord, and everything that she told them about what he had said. John was there that evening when the Lord appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. So this is an eyewitness account. John was there, and he's reporting what he saw, what he heard. He was there. But what we are reading in the Gospel of John, what we are reading in John 20 and 21, his account of the resurrection, is not simply an eyewitness account. It's not simply an eyewitness report of what happened. Remember what the Lord Jesus promised to his disciples at the Last Supper. He promised them the coming Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send another comforter. I've been a comforter to you. I'm going away. I will send the Spirit. Another comforter. And remember what he said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come. The Father will send him. And he will bear witness about me. The Spirit will bear witness about me. And he says, and not only the Spirit, but you also, my disciples who are here with me, you will bear witness about me. And what Jesus is telling us there is the witness of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of the Holy Spirit to the Son, to Jesus, is the testimony of the apostles. They're the ones that give that testimony, which means... John is not simply an eyewitness account of the resurrection. He is a spirit-guided witness. And think of what the Apostle Peter says. Remember Acts chapter 10 where he goes to Cornelius' house. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And during that sermon, Peter says this. Acts 10, 39-41. Now notice what Peter has just said there. The Lord didn't appear to everyone, but to us. Those who had been chosen by God as witnesses. And what we are given in John's Gospel, chapter 20 and 21, is not just simply an eyewitness account of the resurrection. It is a spirit-given account by one who was chosen by God to bear witness. That's what we're hearing. That's what we're listening to. Now John is honest. He admits Just look at verse 9 for a moment. He admits his own bewilderment, his own confusion at what was happening. And John tells us they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And that's what I want us to consider this morning what John says there. At that moment, at that time, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But in time, John did understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And think of what the Gospels tell us about the time that Jesus spent with his disciples between the resurrection on the third day and his ascension 40 days later. Remember what Luke in particular highlights to us. That Jesus spent that time with his disciples and he was opening up the scriptures to them. And he was showing them all that the law and the prophets said concerning him, concerning his death, concerning his resurrection. Remember even Luke 24 as Jesus is walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're kept from recognizing him. They don't understand what's happened. They've heard the reports of resurrection. They don't understand it. And Jesus comes alongside them. And remember what Luke tells us. He opened up the scriptures to them. Showing them everything that the scriptures said concerning his death and his resurrection. Think of what we confess every Sunday when we confess in the creed. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Paul, when he is teaching on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 says he was raised according to the scriptures. Now here's what I want us to consider this morning. The resurrection of Jesus in light of the scripture. They did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But if we understand that scripture, we will come to appreciate What John is telling us in this account. That's why I I asked us last week. you'll, You'll remember in the personal and family worship, read this account and think about where's the Old Testament background here. Where are the allusions? Let's think about that. Because the apostolic proclamation and witness about the resurrection, it's spirit given, but it is biblically fulfilled. It is biblically informed. And so I want us to consider that. What does the scripture say about this? And if we understand the resurrection of Jesus through the lens of scripture, we will then understand our lives. We'll understand the world around us through the, through the lens of his resurrection. And we need that perspective. We need that perspective, especially at a time like this, because it will easy, it's easy for us to look at the world around us and not look at the world around us through the lens of the resurrection. Now, this isn't going to be an eight-hour sermon going through the scriptures, one after the other. I just want to make a few highlights, just a few highlights, to look at what the scripture says about Jesus' resurrection, about death and resurrection. I begin in Genesis chapter 2. Remember the description of the creation of Eve. We read there that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And then from his side, God constructed Eve. He made Eve. Now the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we need to read Genesis 2 as being about Christ in the church. And we saw this last week. When our Lord died, his side was pierced. From his side flowed blood and water. The shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, the the, the living water, the gift of the Spirit. And what does Paul say about us, the church? We are being built up. And we're being built up by the Spirit to be a temple. So even in Genesis 2, even before the fall, there is a type of death and resurrection. Adam died. Eve was given life. Christ has died. We have been given life. But then we know what happens in the next chapter. Genesis chapter 3. The trespass of Adam and Eve. They are deceived by the serpent. They take the fruit. They reach their hand out to that tree. And through the trespass of Adam, death entered the world. The garden was a place of life, a place of blessing. Now it is a place where there is death. And remember, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And remember the words to Adam, Now that you have trespassed, Adam, there's going to be enmity between you and the serpent. Adam, your wife Eve is going to suffer in childbearing. Adam, the ground is now cursed because of you. It's not the fruit trees of the garden. It's thorns and thistles. It's briars. And Adam is cast out. And you'll remember what we read at the end of chapter 3. A cherubim was placed to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the garden. To keep Adam and Eve out. And so, from Genesis 3 onwards, the shadow of death and the curse hangs over the world. And the wickedness becomes so pronounced at one point that God floods the earth. But through the death of the flood comes Noah. And what does Noah do as soon as he comes out of the ark? He plants a vineyard. It's a new garden. And we may think, oh, here's a new Adam. Here's the one that's going to turn everything around. Here's the one through whom God's going to undo the curse and undo death. But then Noah gets drunk on the wine from the garden. And you know what happens. So the shadow of death, the curse remains. And as we continue to read, we come to the patriarchs. We come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there as we're reading the the suffering of childbearing, the grief of childbearing, and the shadow of death, that hangs over those families because each one of their wives, Sarah, and then Rebecca, and then Rachel, we read about each one of them that they are barren. They can't conceive. There's no life coming from their womb. And it's a pronounced reminder. The shadow of death hangs over the world. The curse is here. This is exile. It's outside of the garden. But in each case, Sarah, and then Rebecca, and then Rachel. God opens their womb. And from the deadness of the womb, life comes. And so we have Isaac is born. Laughter. Jacob. And then Jacob's son through Rachel. Joseph. Joseph, the fruitful one. And there we think, maybe it's Joseph. Maybe Joseph is going to be the new Adam. Maybe he's the one that's going to undo death. Maybe he's the one that will undo the curse. He's the gardener. He'll bring it back. He's the fruitful one, the one of increase. And even in Joseph's life, think about what happens. He's thrown into a pit. He's declared to be dead. But he comes out of the grave. He lives and he goes to a place. And there he supervises and oversees Economic prosperity, life. So maybe it's Joseph. But then Exodus begins with these words. Then there was a king in Egypt who didn't remember Joseph. Why didn't he remember Joseph? Joseph died. And in the Exodus, his bones were carried out of Egypt. Abraham died. Noah died. Isaac died. Jacob died. The genealogies in the book of Genesis remind us again and again. Then he died. Then he died. Then he died. He died. He died. It's not them. They're not the ones. And so as we're reading through scripture, there is, we are reminded again and again, the shadow of death hangs over the world. The curse remains. But then we come to the Exodus. And there, if we read carefully the theme of death and resurrection, it comes out in that encounter between God and Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. And you remember, Moses is concerned. Nobody will believe me. Nobody will listen to me. And God says, I will give you signs so that they know the Lord God is with you. And think of the three signs that God gives to Moses. Take your staff. It's a dead piece of wood. Throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Something dead comes alive. That's the first sign. And he says, put your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. Leprous. White. Your hand is dead. Put it back in. Bring it out again. It's alive again. Death and resurrection. And then the third sign. Take water from the Nile. Pour it on the ground. It will turn into blood. Life is in the blood. Each one of those signs is a sign that God is the God of the living. He's a life-giving God. He's a God of resurrection. He's going to bring life out of death. Now, when John says they didn't yet understand the scripture that he must rise again, he doesn't say, Look, you need to find that one particular verse in the Psalms or that one particular verse in the prophets. He's saying, Read through scripture. The scripture is declaring this again and again and again. Now, the question is, who's the one that's going to bring life? Who's the one that will undo death? Who's the one that will lift the curse? It wasn't Moses. But the prophets proclaim who this one will be, and we see it especially, most clearly, in Isaiah. And here we focus in on the heart of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 53. And we heard, we considered this last week as we were contemplating the resurrection of Christ. But if you look there at the heart of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, but then 54 and 55, look at those three together because of course in Isaiah 53 there is the there is the messiah there's the suffering servant it's Christ it's Jesus he's the one that is going to be pierced for our transgressions he's the one that's going to remove the sin of adam he's the one who will atone for our sins he's the one that's going to as we read on go to the grave but break free from the grave He's the one that's going to bring life. He's the one that will lift the curse. And there's other passages in Isaiah that speak of the work of the Messiah, even the one who will overcome Leviathan, the serpent. He's the one that'll do it. But when we come to Isaiah 54 and 55, here we see the blessing flowing out of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. And in Isaiah 54, the opening declaration. It's a song. Sing. Rejoice. And who's singing and rejoicing? The barren woman. You are going to have more children than the one who is married. It's a picture of the life that will flow out of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. And then we come to Isaiah 55 and it begins with that invitation. You who are thirsty, you who are dying, come and drink and have life. And I just want to read for us how that chapter ends. These words will be familiar to some of you. For as the rain and the snow came come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Listen to the language there. The word of God going out, accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. What's the purpose? To bring life. And then a very clear description of the undoing of the curse. It's not thorns and thistles. It's the cypress. It's the myrtle. And what the prophet is telling us is as the word of the gospel, as the word about the suffering servant, his death, his resurrection goes out, it's going to be lifting the curse. It will do that work. It will bring life. So as you're reading through scripture, yes, again and again there's the theme of death. There's the hope of resurrection. There's the promise that the Messiah is the one who he will come, the suffering servant. He, He will atone for sin. He will defeat the serpent. He will... Conquer death. He will lift the curse. He's the one. Now, notice how that ends in Isaiah 55 the image of no longer the cursed ground of thorns and thistles, but now the cypress and the myrtle, a garden. And then we look to John's gospel. And John has written his account of the resurrection because now he understands the scripture. And he's not just simply writing for us an eyewitness account. He wants us to understand the scripture that he must rise again. And that's why I wanted us to begin in chapter 19, 41. Because listen to what John says. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Now, think about that. In the place where he was crucified, there was... A garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Think about what John is telling us here. In the place where he was crucified was a garden. We're reminded of Eden. We're reminded that we are outside of Eden. We're in exile. We're reminded that the the shadow of death hangs over us in that place. It's the accursed place. Well, in that place, he was crucified. He bore the curse. He bore our sin. He bore the judgment. And then notice what John tells us. Then his body was taken into the garden. The tomb was in the garden. In the very place where death entered, now there's going to be a resurrection in that place. Death entered in the garden. Now there's going to be resurrection in the garden. And then notice the details of what John tells us about that empty tomb. Verses 6 and 7. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now just imagine what he saw there the burial clothes fold it up separate it there they are now we've read through john's gospel where have we already heard about burial clothes about face cloths john 11 remember when jesus calls lazarus out of the tomb and john tells us the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips And his face wrapped with a cloth. That's each one of us. We are bound by sin and death. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Yes, Jesus was saying that to those who were there. You know, help him out. But behind Lazarus was the grave. Behind Lazarus was death and Hades. And he is saying to death and Hades, unbind him. Let him go. And then saying, what else? Take me instead. But did Jesus come out of the grave, wrapped up in the grave clothes with the face cloth around his head? No. Folded up, lying there. Death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. And then think of what Mary sees when she goes in. She doesn't see the linen cloths. She sees two angels. Verses 11 and 12. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the foot. The tomb is empty. Yes, Jesus is not there. But it's not empty in that the grave clothes are there. That is a sign that death has been conquered and defeated. Angels are there in the tomb. Now, in Scripture, angels are heavenly soldiers. God has put his soldiers in the tomb, in Hades. He's occupied it. He's conquered it. He's occupied it. He's there. Belongs to him. Death is no threat to us. The grave is no threat. It's been conquered. It's occupied. But notice how Mary would have come back and described what she saw to John. John. And John said, I'm going to mention that, what you saw, the two angels. And just imagine what she saw there, two angels, one at the head, one at the foot. Now, what does that remind you of? Two angels, one at the head, one at the foot, the Ark of the Covenant. And the angels, the cherubim, in the tabernacle, and the temple, were a reminder of the cherubim that guarded the way to the tree of life, in Genesis chapter 3. But Mary turns around from there and think of just the, the description of the space and where she is. She turns out of the tomb into the garden. Mary has passed through the cherubim. She's passed by them. She's on the other side. She enters the garden again. And, and she meets with God. God. She is walking with God in the garden. She's with him in the garden again. The curse has been lifted. Death has been defeated. Sin has been atoned. And there she is with, with God again in the garden, with the new Adam. she mistakes him for the gardener. That's significant. The new Adam, the last Adam. He's the one. He did it. He defeated. But then notice his first question to her: "Woman, why are you weeping? And here we have a clear echo of the prophetic description of the resurrection and the renewal of all things in Isaiah 25. And there is a beautiful picture on that mountain. There's going to be a wonderful feast, rich wine, rich foods. And then we're told that the veil of death, the shadow of death, it's going to be lifted. And the prophet declares he will swallow up death forever. And then he says... And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And Mary comes back into the garden. And he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? He wipes away her tears. And so in the face of death, yes, we do weep. We do grieve. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Death has been conquered. The grave clothes were left there. The tomb is occupied. We've come through the cherubim. We know the risen, crucified one. The way to the tree of life is open again. So John says, we need to understand the scripture that he must rise again. Read through the scriptures. Let that inform you. And John is helping us where to look in his account of the resurrection. Now, understanding the resurrection through the lens of scripture then helps us to understand ourselves, our lives, the world around us through the lens of the resurrection, through the hope of the resurrection. Because even as we see, yes, death is still here, yes, we still know and see and feel the effects of the curse, but the end has begun. And in the resurrection of Jesus, there's a new beginning. And that's why John is careful how he reports this, early in the morning, while it was still dark, on the first day of the week. This is Genesis chapter 1. There's darkness. God said, let there be light. It's the first day of the week. Now is the beginning of God's work of new creation. It begins in Jesus. And everything flows out of his resurrection life. And so we are those who don't fear death. And what we see going on around us and the various manifestations of it in terms of policy and people's response to this and that, at the heart of that is a fear of death. What will save us? Make sure the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. Make sure that we can get the vaccine. That's going to save us. The fear of death. We don't have the fear of death because we belong to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And Pastor Mike in his prayer, read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's hear that again. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Now, why don't we regard anyone according to the flesh anymore? Verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now this is what it means to have a resurrection perspective. Yes, when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, we see one for whom Christ died. But when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we also see there is a person who is in Christ And we don't see them according to the flesh. For behold, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And we see in our brothers and sisters one who has been redeemed by the risen one. One in whom this work of life, this work of renewal, the picture of restoration that we see in Isaiah 55, that's begun. That's happening. And we need to have the eyes to see that. Look for that. Know that. Because sometimes the way we interact with one another, that's not obvious that the old has passed and the new has come. This is a declaration it has. And so we see one another through the lens of resurrection. Here's one that has been purchased, redeemed, rescued. They've been made new by the Spirit and God is at work in them, sanctifying them. So we see one another through the lens of resurrection. But then think of the picture that we're given here of the word of God going forth from Isaiah 55. I didn't read this, but if you read the whole chapter, there's two things that come out in terms of the purpose for which God sends his word. One is life. It's a life-giving word. When the word of God is, is declared, when the word of God is spoken, it brings life. And the prophet says, it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. It will bring life. But the other thing it brings is repentance. And that's what we read in in the middle of chapter 55, Isaiah 55, as the word about the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ goes out. It's going to bring life, but it's also going to bring repentance. And so there is a call in the middle of that chapter, forsake your wicked ways. Turn to the Lord, seek him while he may be found. Mary is seeking him. And so here, through the lens of the resurrection, we recognize the power of the word of God. And this has to do with our witness, because what does Mary do? She's commissioned, go and declare this. And she does. And she says, I have seen the Lord. And then she told them all that the Lord had said to her. A witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a witness to his word, what he said. Now we have the same commission. And Pastor Mike read on in 2 Corinthians 5, that commission. The ministry of reconciliation, we're his ambassadors. God seeing fit to proclaim his word through us. And it may not seem like it, and this is why we need the perspective of resurrection. We need the perspective of the hope of the risen Christ among us. Because it may not look like this from a merely fleshly point of view, but we don't view things from a... fleshly point of view when you are sharing the gospel with those who are in darkness when you're testifying to jesus when you are speaking his word when you are bearing witness to it through your own obedience keeping his word the reality of what god declares in isaiah 55 is happening it is like water going out it is bringing life. It is undoing the curse. It's, it's, it's undoing, it's breaking the bonds of death. And so we should have every confidence to boldly declare the gospel, boldly point others to the risen Lord Jesus Christ to speak his word. Because it brings life and it brings repentance. You don't have to convince anybody. The word convinces. The word brings Repentance it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So it's my prayer as we enter into this fall we are going into it in the power of the resurrection of Jesus with the light in the light of the resurrection of Jesus knowing that everything scripture declares concerning the resurrection is true. And we go bearing witness to him. And we go with his word. And now we come to the Lord's table as we do every Sunday. And we're reminded of that first Sunday, that first Lord's Day, that Resurrection Sunday. Jesus with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, they are kept from recognizing him. But the Lord opens up the scriptures. Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. We don't know what he said. I would have loved to have heard what the Lord Jesus said on that long walk. But even as they were hearing it, their hearts were burning within them. Something was happening, they were aware of it, but they still didn't recognize him until they came to Emmaus and they sat down at table with him. And the Lord Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they went back rejoicing and telling the other disciples what had happened on the way and how they recognized him in the breaking of bread. And every Sunday when we come to this place, we are, we are in Eden. This is the tree of life. We have access to it again. And every Sunday when we come to this table, we recognize the risen Lord Jesus among us in the breaking of bread. And we recognize him. And think of the echo that we have there in that account in Luke 24 of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve took that food from the tree, their eyes were opened just as these two disciples' eyes were opened. But open to their sin, open to their shame. Their eyes were opened and they recognized they were naked and they were ashamed. But now, on that first Resurrection Sunday, there are two again there. This time their eyes are opened, not to their sin and their shame, to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to this table, yes, we come with our eyes open to our sin, acknowledging our sin, but we also come with eyes open to the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ among us and we know that when we come we leave our sin here he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but then we leave in the power of the resurrection we leave knowing that he goes with us and as we go out we go out bearing witness to him declaring his word keeping his word and as we go we are bringing life in the midst of darkness light we are bringing life in the midst of death a world that is decaying and dying, we have the message of life. So let's come to the Lord's table now knowing that in this meal, we recognize the presence of the risen Lord Jesus among us.